Good evening. It's good to be here this evening. Um, for devotional this evening, we can turn to Ruth, <clears throat> the book of Ruth. And what I want to be thinking about this evening is commitment. And interestingly enough, um, I looked at what the, the theme was for this week, and it kind of lined up. So I said, well, that's neat. <laughs> but I want to look at the, the book of Ruth, and I want to think about commitment, um, particularly commitment in our walk with God. Are we committed? <clears throat> so I want to start Ruth chapter 1 and jump in at verse 14. I think we all know the story of Ruth pretty good, but um, I'll give just kind of a brief preview of what's happening here. So as we all know, Naomi and her husband, two sons, moved from Israel to Moab. Why, we don't know, but they did. And as we know, Naomi's husband died, and her sons got married, and they died. So we had three widows in a strange land, or one in a strange land, and as most of us would probably do, she decided to go back home uh, where her relatives were. And so she's packed up, she's getting ready to head home, and her two daughter-in-laws wanted to go with her. And so that's where we're going to jump in, and she's trying to tell them to go home. So we'll jump in here at verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. <clears throat> Keep in mind, I want to come back to that, the difference of how they treated her. <clears throat> and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And we'll stop right there. <clears throat> wow, that was commitment. You could say it, Ruth was in for the long haul. This wasn't no light deal. It says here in verse 17, if aught but death part thee and me, it was for life. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was, um, I've been reading through the Old Testament in my personal devotions, and I read across this book. How can we apply this to our walk with God? And, um, you know, it had been a lot easier for Ruth to stay in her own country, but she had to go to a foreign country with a strange language and a different custom. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a daily walk. It's a daily commitment. It's just not a one-time deal. And we can find that in Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> Uh, let's see, 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And if you are there, I want to read a different translation. It's from the pure word, which is a translation from the coin Greek, which is directly from the Greek to English. So it may not sound, it's not perfect, it's not correct English, but it makes a lot of sense. And he said to everyone, If everyone is willing by his choice to come after me, he must, by his choice, deny himself, and must, by his choice, take up his cross daily, and he must, by his choice, be continuously following me. I thought that was interesting. It, said, it, it emphasized by our choice. We have to make, be committed by our choice. We're not forced to be committed. It's by our choice, and we have to be continuously committed. <clears throat> it needs to be intentional. It can't be half-heartedly. As we see later in the chapter, on verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And, you know, it's easy to 
the going gets rough, maybe you're tempted to look back, but you can't. You gotta look forward, you gotta look ahead. And I'm a farmer myself. If you, if you plant looking backwards, it's not gonna end up good, especially if you're trying to cultivate. <clears throat> you gotta be looking ahead. And that's what I wanted to bring out, the difference of how Orpha and Ruth treated Naomi. I thought it was interesting how it, 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 it said a difference. It said Orpha kissed her, but Ruth clave unto her. You gotta be grasping the plow. You can't be lightly holding on to it. I thought it was interesting how it brought that out. <clears throat> I heard this saying once said, a wise man choosing his destination and a wise man chooses his destination and accepts the road. The foolish man chooses the road and accepts the destination. Which one are you tonight? <clears throat> we'll go ahead and bow our heads for prayer. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day today. Lord, I thank you that we're able to gather in this way. I pray that you would be with Josh as he has the message. I pray that you um, give him the words to speak. And I also pray that you'd help us to be hearers of the word and that be able to take what is said and apply it to our lives. Lord, I thank you that we had safe travels. And um, I pray you bless the rest of this weekend. If it be not against thy will, in Jesus' name, amen. A very good evening, dear young people. It is a real privilege to be here this weekend with you and to uh, share the Word of God together. It is our life. It's how we grow. It's how we learn. It's how we please God. And so I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of that. And I am so grateful uh, to see each of you here tonight. A wonderful crowd, people who want to hear the Word of God. I mean, what better place could you be on a Saturday night? So, God bless you. This weekend, we are looking at the theme of a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, I invite you there. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. And the subject for this evening is committed to the fight. Committed to the fight. I'd like to go ahead and read the text. We'll read verses 1 through 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. And that is my prayer for all of us, for myself included, this evening. Consider what I say, not what I say, as much as what you hear from God tonight. Consider what God is speaking to you tonight. And as you do that, I am confident that God will give you wisdom. God will give you discernment to work out the details in your life. But it starts by hearing the word 
and then considering, pondering that. Our key verses for tonight are verses 1 and 3. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you were to rate the level of your commitment to the Christian faith with the number 10 being absolutely sold out, consumed with your love for Christ and the church, zealous in your work of evangelism, totally surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I wonder what number you would choose for yourself. And would your friends agree? Would your neighbors agree? Some years ago, there was a letter written by an American college student who had recently been converted to communism. And the purpose of this letter was to explain to his fiancée why he had to break off their relationship. And this is what he said. We communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung and lynched and tarred and feathered and jailed and slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists don't have the time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes and new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, and that is the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in his small way is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one cause in which I'm in dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife and mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime, and I dream of it at night. It hold, its hold on me grows, not lessens, as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a relationship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. Dear young people, if a communist can be that committed to their cause. How much more committed should you and I be to the Lord Jesus Christ, giving our hearts in full obedience and surrender to Him, 
committing ourselves to the good fight of faith, how much more zealous should we be for advancing the cause of the kingdom of Christ? They're serving a dead leader. There's no glory. There's no true reward. There's no life in that. And yet we as Christian young people are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. What more could we ask for? Someone has said that the disgrace of the church today is that more zeal is evident among suicide bombers and cultists than among Christians. Think about that. Oh, there's some zealous people out there, okay. For sure there are. More zeal is evident among suicide bombers and cultists than among Christians. This evening, I want us to check the level of our commitment to the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul refers to it as the fight of faith. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. <laughs> why is it a good fight? Well, because it ends in victory, that's why. Uh, you could hardly call a fight a good one that ends in defeat. It's a good fight. It ends in victory. It's a good fight of faith. And we're called to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ and to fight it. And so I ask you this evening, what does this fight mean to you? What are you willing to give for this fight? You see, the fight of faith is never won by accident. The winner's trophy is never given to those who are careless, those who are lazy, those who have a ho-hum attitude about their Christian life. But strong Christian commitment stands in sharp contrast to spiritual complacency. And I say, show me a young person who is committed to the fight, and I will show you a young person who lives a disciplined lifestyle. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Show me a young person who is committed to the faith, and I will show you a young person who lives a committed lifestyle. Ponder this question as we read uh, verses 24 through 27, and the question is, who or what is calling the shots in your life? Who or what is controlling you? 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, is disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we... And incorruptible, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, or, or not aimlessly. I so fight, not as one that beateth the air, or I don't fight carelessly, but I keep under my body, or I beat my body into subjection, 
I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And the Apostle Paul is basically saying here at the end, I don't want to get to the point in life where I have lived a fake. I've been a hypocrite. I've stood up here and preached the truth and said, do this and do that, and this is what God's Word said, and we need to be disciplined in this area, and we need to fight the good fight of faith, and then, really, I'm not living it. Behind the scenes, I'm living another life. Who or what is controlling you? Who or what is controlling, is calling the shots in your life? So run that ye may obtain, or run in such a way as to win the prize. Live your life in such a way as to win the prize. You know what? The sports world knows all about this. They've really got it figured out. It's no, it's no secret. In fact, the sports world is full of highly disciplined people. Highly disciplined people. I found it interesting some time ago I was reading uh, an article about the uh, University of Virginia men's basketball team and it was talking about how Coach Tony Bennett uh, uses different tactics even from scripture as a means of training his fellas on the basketball team. And so he'll take a passage and he'll break it down. He'll share some, some biblical things with the guys. And then he'll use that as a means of, of showing them something about basketball. And this actually is one passage, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And in fact, that article said that at one point in the locker room, on the wall, in big letters, they had I-S-A-W. And that stood for, in such a way. And so then Coach Bennett would tell the guys that in, in, in their training, in their practices, you guys need to play the game of basketball every part of the game in such a way as to win the game. So dribble the ball in such a way, guard the ball in such a way, throw the ball in in such a way, shoot the jump shot in such a way, everything in such a way as to win the game. It all factors into the, to the final outcome. That's just basketball, though. That's just basketball. Here just recently, I think March, the, uh, May the 24th of this year, Phil Mickelson did something in the pro golf world that no one has ever done before. He won a major PGA championship at the age of 50. To my knowledge, no one has ever uh, won a major golf championship that old. He was competing against guys that were like his boys in the 20s. He had the longest drive of the day. He won the game. And to the golf world, it was just an absolute miracle, stunning. How could he do this? Well, what was his secret to success? Found it very fascinating. For a while, he was prepping for this. He stopped eating junk food. Okay? He fasts for 36 hours every week. 
Okay? How many of y'all are fasting? He fasts for 36 hours a week. And this is what he said about that. He said, when you like to eat like I do, it's hard. But after winning something like this, it's all worth it. <laughs> wow. Oh, he has daily yoga sessions to help him meditate and, and to, to train his mind to react, relax in like really tense situations. He even plays 45 holes of golf some days just in practice. That's just golf. <laughs> That's just golf. But these guys are driven. Think about Tom Brady. Tom Brady, considered probably the greatest football quarterback of all time. In fact, uh, the oldest active quarterback today. Has the most Super Bowl victories of any quarterback, seven. And we say, well, what's his secret to success? He has an insanely restrictive diet, a diet that probably none of us would enjoy. He has daily workouts at the gym, multiple workouts at the gym. He has a rigid daily schedule that includes going to bed at 8.30 each night and getting up at 5.30 each morning to go to the gym. And this is what he said. Because my career is so important, I think I make a lot of, well, I wouldn't say sacrifices, but just concessions for my job. I love what I do, and I want to do it for a long time. And I said, that's just football. <laughs> that's just football. I mean, no eternal value. And I'm saying these guys are insanely disciplined. They are driven. They are driven to no end to win the game. And I just say, what's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? We're so soft. I'm speaking to myself as well. So soft. And we cringe when, you know, we're encouraged to fast or when we're encouraged to spend extra time in prayer or we don't even want to commit to reading the Bible through in a year because that's just crazy. I mean, I don't have that much time. And on and on and on. Dear young people, I challenge you to live every area of your life in such a way as to win the prize. Make every effort count. Keep the reward in view. Let that be your, your driving focus. The reward of living a faithful life, of pleasing the one who has called us to be a soldier. In everything I do, Lord, I want to please you. And so I say, live intentionally. Live purposefully. Set goals for yourself. When it comes to your Christian life, set goals for yourself. Whether it's in prayer time, whether it's in Bible reading, whether it's in uh, talking about Christ to a neighbor, whether it's going out and handing out gospel. Do something. Set goals for yourself. Stretch yourself beyond what's comfortable. Set your alarm clock. <laughs> and then get up. All right? Get up. 
have a consistent schedule. You know, a haphazard schedule really is an enemy to strong Christian commitment. It's hard to develop a real strength and a real routine in our Christian life when our schedule is just up in the air. One day this, one day that, this, that, late this night, so forth. Don't start the day by reading the latest news. I'm serious. Don't start the day by reading the latest news. You might have to break a habit. Do it. Just break it. Look, what, what you start the day with often sticks with you throughout the day. It, it lays a framework for your thoughts, as it were. Discipline yourself to read the Word of God daily. Make it a priority in your life. And let me just say that you will find time in each day to do what is truly most important to you. And you might disagree with me. That's okay. You write it down. Think about that one. You will find time in each day to do what is truly most important to you. Our actions prove our priorities. Why is it that some young people, and I'll say some old people as well, are so very talented in areas of sports or hobbies or music or business or whatever? and yet cannot rightly divide the word of truth. So talented in areas that hardly matter, and yet so unskilled in handling the word of God. You ask the guy to have a topic, oh, oh, I don't know, I can't do stuff like that, you know. Can you, can you lead in this prayer group? I don't know. But you ask them to come to the ball game? Oh, you betcha. And you just watch, you know. You fill in the blank. You know what it might be for you, but you understand what I'm saying. Does it not show where our hearts are? Does it not show what's truly important to us? You know what? Our culture today is full of undisciplined disciplinaries. Our culture is full of undisciplined disciplinaries. We have people that are highly skilled, highly disciplined in areas of sports, business, hobbies, music, you name it. And yet so undisciplined in the things of life that truly matter in an eternal kind of way. Show me a young person who is committed to the fight, and I will show you a young person who lives a disciplined lifestyle. The two go hand in hand. Now turn to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. I'd like to note verses 5 through 7. We'll call this Commitment to the journey. Commitment to the journey. Verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them 
who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Now note verse 5 again. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. And another translation puts it this way. Who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Blessed are those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Those who have committed themselves to the journey. Those who are going about their Christian life with determination. Those who are going steady with the Lord. I hear that years ago they used to use that term in relation to dating. Like, back in the day, from what I understand, God forbid, there was a lot of loose dating. That's what my parents say. That's one thing that I'm glad changed, but that it was just kind of the norm to date around. And you'd take this girl this weekend, and you'd take this girl another weekend, and back to this one, and then that one. And, and, and you're just, you're just dating. It's just what you did. And then when you finally found the one, and the, things really clicked, then they called that going steady. We're going steady. And that means that you finally like, you're finally committed. You're locked in. You're determined. You're, you're not looking, okay? Looking days are over. You're going steady now, okay? Dear people, God is looking for young people who are going steady with him. They're done looking. They're done, they're done messing around. All of this half-hearted loyalty is over. They're going steady. They're committed. But let's note here the valley of Baca a little bit. Baca means literally weeping. You could say the valley of weeping. And as I understand, it was a valley, a valley in Palestine that many people traveled through on their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. If you know much about the Jewish traditions, uh, they would, at least the, the really staunch ones, would take this annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And this valley of Baca uh, was a sandy, barren, desert place. Certainly not a place where you'd find comfort or refreshment. There weren't many nice shade trees. There weren't any McDonald's and slushies. None of that stuff. But as one commentator said, it was a valley embarrassed with such bushes and thorns which could not be passed without labor, labor and tears. And so it was a part of the pilgrimage that no one looked forward to. Everyone dreaded, oh no, we're at Baca, you know. No one looked forward to that part. It's kind of like the stretch from Lynchburg to South Boston. You've already drove two hours, and now you're on a little two-lane road. Oh. But in this passage, the Valley of Baca is used as an emblem of suffering, of times of discouragement, maybe heartbreak. Oh, it might be a situation that looks impossible. It might be grief. It might be hopelessness. You know, and it's in those times that we're sometimes tempted to just give up. To just throw in the towel. I'm done. 
it's too hard. It takes too much from me. We just feel like jumping shit. The story is told of the Spanish explorer Cortez, who made a very extreme and unpopular decision in order to conquer the Aztec Indians. The year was 1519, and Cortez had traveled with 500 men by ship to the shores of Mexico. And as they eased up to the beach there in Mexico, it was then that Cortez made this extreme order. And he said, boys, burn the ships. If we go home, we're going to go home in their ships. And you can imagine, perhaps, the quietness. You can imagine almost like the looks of disbelief. And yet, as the smoke from their ships started rising, you can bet your britches those men got committed and got committed fast. And as the story goes, as history goes, the Aztec Indians were defeated in a very great way. And I'm, not, and I'm not here to say that was great. I'm just simply giving an account from history and showing it as an example, as an illustration for what we need to do in our lives as well. But as the smoke from those ships went up, those men understood it was win or die. There was no retreat. There was no going back. There was no turning around. There was no escape routes. They were committed. Absolutely committed. You know, there are times in our lives as well when, when we're, just, we're just weary of fighting. It's just too hard. And our minds say, just get back in the old ship and sail away from it all. Just go back to what used to be comfortable. Just go back to, quote, the good old days when life was easy. But dear people, with the help of God, we have got to burn those ships in our lives that want to water down our resolve to go all the way with Jesus Christ. And there are those things. You know what they are for you. I know what they are for me. For me, it might be those easier days when life was less demanding, when I had more free time. For you, maybe it's something that you always wanted to do. Maybe it's that elk hunt that you've been always wanting to do. Maybe it's that cruise. Maybe it's that trip to... Whatever it is, you know, dear people, those things can get in the way. Those things can get in the way of our resolve, our commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all our lives. Things that distract us. Things that, if they go unchecked, have the potential to keep us from claiming our reward. 
And the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Quentin read the verse from Luke 9 this evening. And that's Jesus saying, No man having put his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Looking back. It's that longing look. You say you're committed to Jesus Christ and yet those things are pulling oh so hard. In your mind, in your heart, you really would just like to be there. Dear young people, that is no commitment. That is no commitment. Let me just say that an unrelenting commitment to Jesus Christ that is renewed regularly is crucial for success. An unrelenting commitment to Jesus Christ that is renewed regularly is crucial for success. It's the attitude of, look, I have decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care if it's popular or not. I don't care. I've decided to serve Jesus Christ and that is my number one passion in life. And I'm not turning back. I'm going forward with Jesus Christ. You see, it's in a commitment like that that you will gain unimaginable power to live the Christian life victoriously. You will. You'll never know it, though, until you try it. You'll never know it until you try it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You know, there's no more dangerous position for a soldier than when he turns his back to the enemy. And I'd like to note here in verses 10 through 18 what the Apostle Paul has to say about a soldier and about his armor and primarily about the stance of a soldier. The stance of a soldier. Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I say there's no more dangerous position for a soldier than when he turns his back 
to the enemy. Armor is designed for the front of the body. We don't have a piece listed here for the back. It's designed for the front. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, put it on. Put every piece on. Face the battle and fight in the power of God. In fact, he says in another place, watch, stand up, act like a man or quit you like men. Be strong. It's one place that you ladies can be like a guy. Fight like a guy, okay, in your Christian faith. Be strong. But I want you to note the emphasis here on standing. Four times in these few verses, we have stand. Verse 11, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, ye may be able to withstand or stand your ground in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. I say stand is the stance of a committed soldier. It's a picture of watchfulness. It's a picture of purpose. The soldier who's standing is engaged. It's a picture of strength. He's still fighting. Why? Because he's standing. In any fight or any type of opposition like that, the fight is not over until the opponent or enemy is down. As long as the opponent or enemy is standing, it's game on. You keep fighting. Ultimately, standing is synonymous with success, with victory. And verse 13 here gives us the goal. And having done all to stand... And having done all, keep standing. In other words, when it's all said and done, when the battle has been fought, still be standing. Be the last one standing in that fight, as it were. You know, no soldier ever came home alive by just sitting around on the battlefield. In fact, in any fight, the ones who are lounging and laying are the losers. The story is told of a young but powerful preacher by the name of Dudley Tinge. The year was 1858, and the place was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And there was a great revival that was spreading through the city of Philadelphia. But one Sunday, Pastor Tinge uh, preached from Exodus 10, verse 11, where we read, Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord. Well, several days later, while visiting a farmer there in the countryside close by, he was watching the operation of a corn thrasher, and his shirt sleeve got caught between the cogs of that machine. And in an awful moment, his arm was nearly ripped off. And as a result of that injury, he died just several days later. But as he laid on his deathbed, Pastor Tinge was asked the question, 
What word would you like us to take back to the people? What would you like to tell the people? And he said, tell them, let us all stand up for Jesus. Well, his good friend and fellow pastor, George Duffield, went home and wrote a poem which he shared with his congregation in a sermon that very next Sunday. And that poem soon became the song that we sing even today. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Perhaps you could turn in your songbook to that and let's look at it a moment, 483. Four hundred and eighty-three. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Ye that are men, now serve him. There's the sermon text. Against unnumbered foes, your courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. (laughs) Harkening back to the nature of the death, eh? You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor and watching unto prayer where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him that overcometh a crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory shall reign eternally. That's commitment. That's commitment to the fight. That's the stance of a committed soldier. Standing up, facing the battle. Fighting in the power of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you yet for a moment to be zealous in your fight of faith. Be zealous in your fight of faith. General Douglas MacArthur, some years ago, might have been World War II, said this, it is fatal to enter any war without the will to win it. It is fatal to enter any war without the will to win it. Let me just say that if you are taking a casual approach to your fight of faith, If your Christian life is on cruise control, as it were, then you are one easy target for the devil. One easy target. Turn to the book of Jude. Jude tells us what it takes to fight well and to fight to the end. And we'll see here that it requires ongoing, purposeful, 
action. Ongoing, purposeful action. Verses 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, watch out. Watch out. Be alert. Be observant. There are those out today that are after your soul. Watch out. But earnestly contend for the faith. Actively be involved in the fight. Now, look at verse 17 and following. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, or they bring division. They're sensual, having not the spirit. Okay, now here's a contrast. That's them. This is you. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Do you note all of that doing? There's a whole to-do list, quite a list there, of things that we need to be doing as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and I just, some of them are, well, some of them end with an I-N-G, meaning it's an ongoing thing. Be doing this. Continue doing this. But really, it's in the context of ongoing application. And so I say victory, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, requires continued, daily, purposeful action. It won't just happen. But there is building up to be done. There is praying. There is keeping. There is a looking. There is a loving. There is a saving. There is a pulling. There is even a hating within its rightful context. Work for the soldier. And you might think, wow. That's just a lot to be doing. Like, how can I keep up with that? How can I do that? You know what? You can't. You can't do that. But God can do it through you. You know that? God can do it through you if you allow him. In fact, Jude ends by saying, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Our ability to do what God has called us to do 
our ability to fight the good fight of faith, our ability to come home alive, to be victorious, is never going to be within our own strength. It's not something that we can just muster up strength and get done. But it will always come through the power of Jesus Christ flowing through us. He wants to do it within you. Will you let him? Will you let him? But it's about commitment. It's about surrender. It's about letting God have his way with, with you. In his book, True Discipleship, William MacDonald writes this. A disciple can be forgiven if he does not have great mental ability. He can be forgiven also if he does not display outstanding physical prowess. But no disciple can be excused if he does not have zeal. There is no room in the Lord's army for half-hearted followers. And so another William wrote the words of this song, William C. Martin. In the warfare that is raging for the truth and for the right, when the conflict fierce is raging with the powers of the night, God needs people brave and true. May he then depend on you? That's the question. Can God depend on you? He's looking for young men and women who are absolutely sold out to his purposes. Sold out for the cause of Christ. You know, it would be absolutely amazing if we had a group like this that said, each one, I am willing to serve Jesus Christ. I don't care what. I'm willing to serve Jesus Christ. I will not turn back. I surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm yours. I'm committed to the fight. God only knows the awesome power that would be felt in a situation like that. Let me say the church has yet to see it. But we need it today more than ever. We need it in our conference. We need it across our churches. We need young people that are committed to Jesus Christ that say, you know what? I'm done with all that lighthearted stuff. And we need young people that rise up and as the song says, we're done with the lesser things, but instead we want to give our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength to serve the King of Kings, to serve Jesus Christ. We're done with all that lesser stuff. Just give me Jesus. And so I'm calling you tonight to that. I'm calling you tonight to that. Once again, if you were to rate your level of commitment to the Christian faith, what number would you choose for yourself? And would your neighbors agree? Would your friends agree? Oh, what do you think God would think about that? May God bless you and give you a zeal and give you a vision for being a good soldier of Jesus Christ and faithfully fighting to the finish. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, you have blessed us so much with this opportunity to meet together, to look into your word together, 
to be challenged. And Lord, we confess that we have a lot of room to grow. Uh, Lord, the pressures of the world, the pressures of our flesh, oh, Father, they, they distract us. They get in our way. They cause us to stumble. Oh, God, I pray that we would have hearts tonight that are just wholly surrendered to you. Hearts that are just willing and ready. And then move forward with giving up these lesser things in life and giving all of our being to serve you. So, Father, you know the hearts among us tonight. You know the needs in this audience. You know each young lady. You know each young man. You know what they're struggling with. You know what they really want in life more than anything. And, Father, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that you'd do your work in their lives. I pray that there would be an openness to the Holy Spirit's promptings and nudgings uh, tonight and through this weekend. And, Lord, I pray that the church of Jesus Christ could be revived and that we as young people could lead the way, could lead the way, Father. So, Father, I pray your blessing on this gathering. Lord, I pray that the powers of evil would be defeated among us. Lord, I pray that your will would be done among us as it is done in heaven. We pray in Jesus Christ. Amen.